So here we are, the last of the eight teams that I'm previewing, reviewing, doing my XFL 3.0 third time startup 2023 review of these teams. And the last team I'm doing is Orlando, the Orlando Guardians, who I would say, you know, right off the bat, I looked at all these teams real quick in the beginning. And right away, I'd like Stoops and Arlington and the, the staff that, you know, Wade Phillips had and some of the talent those teams had, the experience Arlington has. I enjoyed, you know, June Jones, Jones and Haslett over there in Seattle. And even though Anthony Beck's a totally new guy, he has some really good talent and experience there. The D.C. Defenders really surprised me, you know, when I looked deeper into that, and the HBCU connections with Reggie Barlow and Fred Kice. And uh, the Vipers had have some potential. There's no one that's just outright terrible, you know. And I thought the Vipers had potential. I think, you know, um, Woodson's new, Ron Woodson. So, you know, that, that story needs to be told. I, I love what Heinz Ward is doing at San Antonio. I just feel like it's a build-up, like a project that will be ready in a year. Um, so it comes down to Orlando, and I thought, well, this is the one team I'm just going to out and out say it's not a good team. <laughs> And, you know, that's not exactly the case either. The more I'm starting to look at it, when I first looked at them, I'm like, what has Terrell Buckley done? What kind of coaching? Um, You know, who's this guy, Robert Ford? His offensive coordinator didn't know the guy, which is funny because I think he actually knows guys I'm friends with. But anyways, Um, some of the talent they have right off the bat, I'm like, huh? (laughs) Paxton Lynch and DeAndre Francois. (laughs) You know, so there was a lot of little questions and I thought, well, if there's going to be one team that's just going to be bad, you know, it's going to be Orlando. Well, starting off with the coaching staff, I'm, I'm again, there's a chance for them to be competitive. And of course, like I said, there's an out ch- outside chance that I think Vegas and San Antonio could get in the playoffs. And uh, I mean, I think Orlando probably would be the team I would see the, say the least would get into the playoffs, but it wouldn't totally surprise me. So let, let's, you know, I'll further look into the talent more and see if that still holds once I look at their, their roster with their players. But Terrell Buckley, I'll tell you one thing. He, in my mind, has more experience than Beck. I think everyone does. And uh, maybe and more than Heinz Ward in a way. And maybe I'd, I'd possibly say more than Ron Woodson. I mean, Buckley has, has been around done, and done a lot. So, of course, he played at Florida State with the great Bobby Bowden and Mickey Andrews as his D coordinator. Uh, 4-3, but aggressive. Uh, Like to blitz a little bit. And uh, Buckley was a really good defensive back, good enough to become a number one draft pick for the Green Bay Packers. Okay? And obviously, he's at Florida State. He has a lot of talent. Uh, Not a big guy, 5'10", 180, but back, you know, in the 90s, big enough. And fast enough. So he ended up having a decent career with Green Bay. I think he made, did he make Pro Bowl? I guess not. But he had a decent career. Played a little bit of the Dolphins. His background, besides Mickey Andrews on defense, Ray Rhodes at Green Bay, J.J. and Wanstat at the Dolphins, Belichick when he was there for a little bit. And these are good defensive coaches <laughs> to have. Um and then he went back to coaching. He got out. He, he retired after 2005, went in back to Florida State, Mickey Andrews again. And then when Jimbo Fisher took over, his D, the D.C. was Mark Stoops. 
So Mark Stoops is a little different, a little more zone blitzing, still some man-to-man pressure, but different than Mickey and more along the lines of a Belichick. Uh, And I would say, you know, Mickey Andrews is more along the lines of JJ and Wanstatt and Ray Rhodes, more traditional. Belichick will try different stuff, zone blitz, and Mark Stoops is in that kind of category. And then Chuck D'Amato, he was with Chuck D'Amato at um, Akron, if I'm correct, as a defense, it was the defense. So he was like the cornerbacks coach at Akron, and Chuck D'Amato, the old time Mickey Andrews guy. So that's still in line with Mickey Andrews. Chuck D'Amato might have even been more aggressive, even more blitzing. Uh, and then this is what I really like. He went to Louisville as a coach, again cornerbacks coach. And Buckley was under a guy named Todd Grantham, who was really a LeBeau guy in the three four and all that stuff. The whole mix in four three, but. He'll do a lot of zone blitzing and a lot of mixing. That's really cool because he was with them at Louisville and again at Mississippi State a little bit. He also had Pete Sermon, the guy from uh, under Aliotti at Oregon. Again, heavy mix, heavy zone blitz, a lot of mixing of stuff, mixing pressures, mixing coverage. And then finally, he was recently at Ole Miss, again as a cornerbacks coach, always a defensive back coach, under DJ Durkin, who has experience with a lot of people going back. I think uh, Muschamps and Harbaugh at Michigan, and he was with uh, Urban Meyer a couple times. But he came up with a guy named Chris Partridge, who was a guy who'd been with Wisconsin and some other teams. And Partridge was more like the quarters kind of guy. I think Chris Ash and that kind of style. But DJ Durkin came up at Ole Miss with a defense like a 3-2. It's a hybrid. So they don't just play 3-2, but it's like a 3-2-6 dime defense. A lot of mixing of coverage, match coverage, a lot of match coverage. That, that would be quarters as well. And uh, mixing pressure, weird blitzes. That's even more flexible than the 3-4, obviously. So I thought, you know, and, and it's working really well at Ole Miss. Of course, that's college. So what am I trying to say here? Buckley knows a lot about defense. That's what I'm trying to say. I think this is going to be very interesting what he may be doing on defense and then his coaches, young kid, young guy. This guy's 36 years old, Tony Carter. He played at Florida State when Buckley was there. And then he played for the Broncos, for the Pats. Again, Belichick. Who does he have here? After Mickey Andrews, Buckley, he has uh, Martindale, Wink Martindale, Belichick, Del Rio, old standbys, guys who know what they're doing. M- Martindale's the Baltimore Ravens psycho stuff. Chuck Pagano, also Ravens psycho with Minuski. Uh, Paul Gunther, who's more of uh, Mike Zimmer, but he mixes it up a lot. Uh, that was when he was just recently at the Raiders. He was at the Raiders. Was he at the Raiders? Yeah, yeah. It was just a fellowship. Or then Matt Patricia, where he was uh, a defensive assistant under Matt Patricia. So, you know, he only had one year as a cornerbacks coach at Southern Illinois, Tony Carter, and now suddenly he's a defensive coordinator. But So he's young. But he's going to do what Buckley wants to do, but he knows what to... I mean, I like his background. And he's... Um, oh, not him. No, there's another guy. Anyway, but I like his background. Then here's a veteran, Mark Snyder. I know Mark Snyder because he was under Jim Trussell. I'm a big Ohio State fan back in those days, too. And Mark Snyder knows a lot about defense. More towards the traditional side, more of a mixing coverage than pressure, but he'll do it all. But he, he fell into the quarters regime under um, Michigan State, where Narduzzi had the quarters going on. So he has like a Narduzzi quarters in his background. And then recently he got with Florida State. I don't know if that's how he knew Buckley and hooked up there. 
But um, his, his recent time at Florida State, there was Harlan Bennett, I'm sorry, Harlan Barnett, who is the Narduzzi quarters guy again. So, yeah, so, but Mark Snyder will be a linebacker coach. He's really good at what he does. Devin Bush Sr., another guy who's uh, relatively a veteran. He's a veteran. He was a first-round draft pick out of Florida State, another Florida State link-up. He ended up at Michigan under Don Brown and Jim Harbaugh for a couple of years, a defensive analyst. He played a little bit in the NFL as well. And then he was at Ole Miss with that DJ Durkin Partridge uh, 3-2. So they're going to do, I mean, I'll tell you right now, this is a nice defensive uh, coaching staff. I really enjoy, I like this. And what I'm, I'm looking at uh, what's going to happen here is going to be a, a somewhat standard. I don't think, it, I know everybody runs more of a 3-4-ish now. I, I, again, I, I think it's going to be more 4-3-ish hybrid. We'll see. Maybe, maybe I'm a little bit off. Uh, maybe not. No, because of the Belichick influence in there. Uh, it might be three, four, whatever. It's going to be a lot of hybrid. I'll tell you that. And then Tom, Todd Grantham. That's right. So it'll be a lot of hybrid. There's going to be zone blitz. There's going to be mixed pressure. There's going to be mixed coverage. It's going to be match coverage. This is going to be a great defensive scheme. The whole key is, I mean, Buckley's never been a defensive coordinator, let alone a head coach. Tony Carter's never been a defensive. I mean, he's got guys in, will they be able to suit it to their talent? You know, Buckley seems like a real smart guy and a good guy I, I, from what I can see. But I don't know. I mean, that's all going to be about are they going to match the talent? And like Heinz Ward, I have a feeling he's going to be a really good culture guy. But I'm wondering if it's like maybe a little too ahead of its maybe next year. You know, I mean, another team like this come back next year. I want to I want to say what he says in his little quote that I, I've done all the quotes from these coaches. Here's a quote from him. If you want to put it in NFL terms, I think defensively we would really like to be like the Philadelphia Eagles or the San Francisco 49ers in terms of a style fans would recognize. Get after that quarterback and make some noise. Well, let me tell you this. The 49ers and the Eagles do not do a ton of blitzing. They do it because they have great defensive line. Now, we're going to take a look at the talent here and see how great their D-line is. So if he's talking about not doing too much blitzing, but his background with Grantham... With Belichick, Belichick definitely mixes in blitz. Belichick does everything. Now, Wanstatt and JJ and those guys didn't blitz much. But Belichick blitzes, Stoops will blitz, Amato even blitzes, and Mickey Andrews, his original guy, liked to blitz. I mean, there's a lot of blitz in his background. So I think he's going to blitz more than the Eagles and the 49ers, but we'll see. But I think he wants to get pressure. If he can get it without blitzing, great. But that's, you know, you need the talent for that. Now, he says offensively, well, we haven't talked about that, but I'll go ahead. The idea is to be kind of like the two Super Bowl teams, Philadelphia or Kansas City. But, and what I, and I mean, those are two completely different offense, but whatever. What I mean is that having a lot of movement, a lot of misdirection, yeah, but Philly's more, definitely Kansas City does all that. But Philly's definitely more on the college style. But anyway, and whenever the big plays are there, take advantage of them for sure. So, you know, yeah, okay. But we can drive down the field taking five yards, ten yards at a time. If we're disciplined, we have the athletes to make it work. Okay. You know, it's funny. He's the first guy that really talked a lot about scheme. Out of uh, The other seven coaches talked way more about culture and about the players. So that's interesting. That is very interesting to me. That means to me Buckley, Buckley thinks a lot, and he doesn't BS. I mean, because scheme is important no matter what the coaches say. Coaches love to say it's not X and O's, but... I mean, of course, it's not all X and O's, but it is important. Um, that's interesting to me. 
Maybe Buckley's going to surprise me. He's got more up his sleeve. I know on defense we're going to see stuff. Well, let's take a look at the offense. Robert Ford. Now, I don't know who the heck this guy was. 71 years old. He's been around forever. He played under Bill Yeoman at Houston. That's the triple option, man. Bill Yeoman was the originator. Before Texas and Royal and the Wishbone, before that, there was Bill Yeoman. He's the one who invented the triple option, really. To it's, uh, some people say there, was, there were other guys in it, like uh, Homer, uh, Homer Rice. Homer Rice uh, was a genius in his own right, but I thought he was more like an option air guy, an air option. He tried to combine, his power spread, he tried to combine option with a passing game, which was so geni- uh, way ahead of its time. But he did have something to do with the beginning of triple option, but I really believe it was the guy who cemented triple option football into football in general. Um, Bill Yeoman, he was a genius. By the way, Art Bryles was a Bill Yeoman guy. Art Bryles ran triple option for a long time. That's why the power spread fit him so well. Okay, and then, uh, so this guy, Robert Ford, goes all the way back to Bill Yeoman. He's 70. Uh, Brody, well, there's some other guys. I don't want to get into this. It's a guy that he was under Brody Western. It goes all the way back to Zupke, Robert Zupke, who started coaching at Illinois in 1910, but that, that's, we don't need to get into that. Bill Shanahan, though, this has no relation to the other Shanahans. He's under a guy, Bill, I'm just reading what I have here, Bill Meek. Uh, that, guy, that goes a little bit back to the Dutch Meyer stuff. Oh, Avizano, Joe Avizano, that's Sid Gilman under Peterson, the guy Peterson at Florida State. So that's a Gilman influence there. Emery Bellard, he was under Emery Bellard. This guy was the guy that invented the wishbone at Donald, with Donald Royal at Texas. So there you go. He got it from Yeoman. I mean, the triple option stuff. There you go. And then here's the big one. John Jenkins. He had a year with the Houston Gamblers, Ford, back in the original USFL with Jim Kelly there. And Mouse Davis had moved on and John Jenkins, the protege, took over. And John Jenkins was putting in no huddle ahead of its time uh, in the run and shoot. So that's pretty cool stuff. So he has, and that's why uh, he played fan, uh, Robert Ford was in fan-controlled football in the past year with a lot of the run-and-shoot guys, and John Jenkins was one of the guys there. So then he was under Spike Dykes, whose son became a big air raid guy, um, Sonny Dykes, who was in the national championship this past year with TCU. And then he was with no, Norv Turner, was a big one. And, and Norv Turner is the power Coriel, I call it. He's like the power version of Don Coriel. Um, with Joe Gibbs style, you know, not, not exactly Joe Gibbs style. He didn't use two tight ends. He would use a fullback more. Daryl Johnston, who actually runs the USFL now. But anyway, um, Nor- North Turner is a classic court, you know, classic uh, power and spread dude, you know, NFL style. So that was his biggest, biggest influence out of everyone. A little bit of Chan Gailey. And what's interesting, Ford coached, receivers coach at Texas Southern the year after Johnny Coles left. And Johnny Coles is that hobo, high, that HC, uh, HBCU, uh, high-octane, big-play offense. So Robert Ford's had it all, man. And then he was with the fan-controlled football, FCF, with John Jenkins this past year. And that was all the run-and-shoot guys. So what is he going to do here? Holy cow, man. I mean, I guess because of North Turner, he's going to be doing pro-style. But it's going to be – even North Turner was going to power spread stuff with the Vikings late in his career. So I'm thinking we're going to get pro PS, you know, and um, maybe PS pro, depending on the talent he has. Let me take a quick look. I mean, Paxton Lynch can do the read option. 
DeAndre Francis, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to see. It could be like the Eagles are a PS Pro, which is based on the power spread, and that's unusual in the NFL. Um, the Chiefs, I call them a full pro PS because Andy Reid's special. He does a whole bunch of stuff, but it's still based more on a pro. So, yeah, I don't know what. It's going to be interesting, but this Ford guy looks a lot more interesting to me than I had known. That's for sure. Then there's Lamar Thomas, who's the receivers coach. And not only that, he's also the assistant head coach and a special teams coach. And I looked at his background, and I see Dennis Erickson and Sam White and Bobby Petrino. So Bobby Petrino is right from Sam. I mean, I'm sorry, right, um, right out of the Dennis Erickson school of spread, fo- spread pass. But more like the, the, power, the pro spread kind of stuff. Sam White, you know, it's West Coast offense, Bill Walsh, but his is more than that. And he's, Sam White was a genius in his own right. And then special teams. Grantham, the guy I talked about at, uh, that um, Buckley learned from, some at Louisville, his brother, Tony Grantham, was a special teams coach at Louisville when Lamar Thomas was there. Of course, that's where Buckley, Buckley knows a lot of these guys. He took a lot of guys he knew. So anyway, so since Lamar Thomas is doing special teams too, I looked at that a bit. So you had Tony Grantham there. And then at Kentucky, Eddie Grand, who had been a new convert to the power spread with Tommy Tuberville. Anyway, he was now with, it's more like a PS pro, but he was a power spread dude um, under Stoops at Kentucky, Mark Stoops, the Florida State. When he, before Kentucky, he was at Florida State. Anyway, and the special teams coach was Dean Hood, who was a longtime head coach and a longtime guy special teams. So, so this guy, Lamar Thomas, I don't know how he'll do on special teams, but he has some experience from some guys there. And, of course, he has a good background with Petrino, then some power spread with Eddie Grand. So, you know, again, I, I'm liking this coaching staff way more than I knew about. Then there's Shane Matthews, uh, quarterback coach. Uh, he's a Steve Spurrier guy. I remember watching him for Florida. So big-time Steve Spurrier guy, even coached with Steve at Washington Redskins a year. And he has some other guys, Gary Crowton in his background, Gary Crowton, who's a spread dude, um, and then Mike Malarkey, who's just really cool. Mark, Mike Malarkey liked to play around with everything. He's pro, but he's definitely ahead of his time on the pro PS kind of stuff. Pro spread, I don't know. I can't, it's more like pro PS because he likes his power too. So anyway, um, so again, Shane Matthews, I like him as a quarterback's coach. The other guys I don't really know much about, the O-line coach, the tight ends coach. The O-line coach is Keith Wagner. I didn't look it up. But anyways, I already like enough. I, I'm good enough. These are, this is a decent coaching staff. If Terrell Buckley is putting together his players as well as he put together his coaching staff, um, Orlando has a shot. <laughs> I mean, there, again, I don't think there's one XFL team that's just terrible unless I – let me go through these players more detailed. And if I just come out and say, okay, the talent's not there, okay, that's different. But – this is a good team. I mean, a team that would have a shot, though I'd still pick them last because D.C. is way better than I expected, and then the other two are playoffs. So really, it, I still would have them last, but this, this good. they have talent. I mean, they have talent in their coaching staff. Um, one other thing that sort of bothers me and it bothered a lot of people were the name Guardians was for the New York Guardians, and it had a lot to do. Their, their symbol is a gargoyle, and it was Guardian def- Guardians of the City. And, it, and even their, their, their brand and their, their uniforms were so New York. It was so, and I'm from, I live in New York, so I'm like, I, I so much wish they had stayed in New York, like a lot of people. And um, The Rock is saying they might bring another team to New York in the future, but I mean, 
the, this is the New York Guardians, and you're making them Orlando Guardians? Eh, I don't know how that works for the city of Sunshine, you know, down there in the Sunshine. I, I mean, you, I wish they would have done a different brand and kept this brand alive for a New York team, but it is what it is. So that's very disappointing to me. I think it was disappointing to a lot of people. I, I understand The Rock and his reasoning. It had to do with economics and other things. I get it. I don't want to go into those details, but the thing is, did you have to let them have the branding? And there's probably something I don't get there. There's a reason for that. It's cheap. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. But I, I just wish, and maybe he really, I mean, they just don't think they'll ever have a New York team. But that is just awesome for a New York team, the New York Guardians, man. Maybe they'll call them the New York Gargoyles, but that sounds a little funny. I don't know. But anyway, that's my little beef on that. Let me get into the players now. The first thing I see when I look at the talent is the same thing I saw when I'm looking at the coaching. A lot of potential. A lot of volatility. And I don't want to keep harping on the coaching here. I've already talked 20 minutes about it. But I just want to say, you know, I didn't even bring up some other things. Like Robert Ford, the offensive coordinator, has he's 71, hasn't coached, as far as I can tell, since 2011 at Texas Southern. And he was 60 then, and now he's 71. It's like, what the heck? You know, and, and the thing is... Um, what he has seen in that time is the NFL transitioning from pro style that they've been doing forever, West Coast offense, some spread, you know, pro spread, but West Coast offense spread, but whatever, it all kind of was a pro style, and they added power spread, so I called it pro PS, and now some teams like the Eagles and the Ravens are even doing PS pro. Okay, so, and, and then a lot of that pro has transitioned into college now, that style, because it's all meshed together. So the college and pro are kind of meshing together again for the first time since the 1940s. Okay, so Robert Ford's got to experience this from, outside, from the outside and take it all in. So that would be interesting. His background is huge. I mean, he's got a wide range of background from triple option of Bill Yeoman to the, to the uh, wishbone, Emery Bellard, Bellard, Bellard. Um, he also has, um, you know, spread stuff. And of course, uh, the big, his big guy is Norv, uh, Norv Turner and the power Coriel, I call it. So whatever you want to call it, but that's a West coast offense, not the West coast, not the WCO, just the WC, not the Bill Walsh stuff, but the stuff before Bill Walsh. Okay. So, you know, he's got it all. He's going to want to pass it, you know, but we look at Buckley. Buckley tries to say that, Hey, I'm not just a defensive coach. Okay, he, he says he's in the offense and he works with quarterbacks and all this. Okay, I saw that him saying that in an interview. Well, then who has he lately been with on offense? Dan Mullen from the power spread of Urban Meyer at Mississippi State. And then at Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, who really is in the Art Bryles son right now, Kendrell Bryles. That's two of the three of the main guys that brought power spread to the forefront. Urban Meyer, Art Bryles, and then, of course, there's Gus Malzahn. So... You know, so Buckley's got all this power spread suddenly. Of course, he has a pro background going back to the Holmgren, I mean, the Packers, uh, stu uh, West Coast offense stuff. And then, of course, the pass spread of Belichick and Brady. And uh, and I think he has some Bobby Petrino at Louisville, which is kind of like that pro pass spread. So, you know, again, and, and his receivers coach, Lamar Thomas, has that. So we're kind of like a pass spread. There's definitely going to be spread. But there's going to be power. He's going to want a power run. He's already said that. Robert Ford, North Turner, likes to run that ball. It's going to be a pro PS or maybe PS pro because of his recent experience. I'm talking about Buckley. And Robert Ford hasn't even been around, so we don't even know what to think there. 
The only guy with offensive coordinating experience is Shane Matthews, who's a Steve Spurrier guy and a pro guy. And Steve Spurrier is like fun and gun. He's his own style of passing spread. And, and then, of course, it's on the, along the lines of Gilman and the pro style and Coriel. It's along those lines. But so, you know, what's going to happen? It could be fun. It could be boring. Robert Ford has already said he's just going to try to run between the tackles. What? Seriously, dude? <laughs> and as that works out, he'll run outside more. What? What are we, in the 1905 now? Are we going to have another, uh, the guy from the Pittsburgh Maulers last year at the USFL, Kirby Wilson, lining up nine guys on the line? I mean, I, so, so this is like extremely volatile, and because of that, it's so unpredictable. I still have to hold Orlando in the last place of the USF, XFL this year. But if they make the playoffs, I'm not going to be shocked if they could somehow pull it together. But it just so as we look at the talent, we look at the, the QBs right away first. And and by the way, on defense, I also want to say Buckley has just recently been at Old Miss with the three two. That's very unusual. The three two is a, way ahead of its time yet. Something Durkin was playing with there under um, Lane Kiffin. So, you know, we, we don't know what we're getting here, you know, but it's pretty volatile. And then you look at the QB room, you look at all the talent, same thing. DeAndre Francois had a great run at Florida State early on under Jimbo Fisher. So he, Jimbo Fisher is more of like a Gilman style, Coriel style. His pass spread is more like that. It's not like the short stuff of Bill Walsh. He, he likes to get downfield, but, you know, whatever. He uses the whole field. He has a really good passing offense, but it's pro style. And DeAndre Francois did well in that. He's a little bit mobile, but it's more like a Jameis Winston. He's a, little, he's a small man's Winston. But it's not like he runs around a lot. I wouldn't call him a full dual threat. More like a Jordan Taumu, who did so well at the USFL last year and is in the XFL this year. Though Taumu, I even think, runs more than Francois. Francois is not a real runner, but he is mobile enough. So that's going to be interesting how they might use him. He was one of those quarterbacks they were working with in the off, early on at the XFL. So that's kind of cool. He was in that group that was working with Jordan Palmer. And then they picked up also in the draft Quentin Dormady, if I'm saying that right. And he was at Tennessee, and, he, and he's a big, tall guy. And by the way, Francois is a huge, big recruit. Dormady is a pretty big recruit, too. But he's more of a pocket passer. He is a pocket passer. 6'4", just sits in the pocket, has a good arm. And, uh, but, but he had a shoulder injury at Tennessee, and that was a lot of power spread there with Butch Jones and whoever. So he moved on to Houston, but that's power spread, too. And he didn't even play there. Then he went to Central Michigan, when McIlwain took over, the guy that used to be under Saban. And he runs more of a pro PS or PS pro, whatever. So that worked out better. Dormany definitely is more of a pro style with the drop back stuff. So he's an interesting pick. And then late, not in the draft, in the draft, they actually picked a guy that, and, and this is interesting. A lot of their guys were coming from FCF, fan controlled football, which has gone on for two years. It's having another year now. And I haven't seen any other team pick so many guys from the FCF. So this is interesting. And again, Francois was in the FCF. See, that's good for Francois. That was indoor football with only seven guys. And a lot of the field is down, a lot of the passing is downfield. You want to be mobile. You want to get those downfield passes. You want to get rid of the ball quick. When you have more of a order to the system and a lot more short passing, it seems like Francois struggles a bit. So he didn't even win the job in camp, which, you know, I think must have surprised a lot of people. And then uh, Dormandy would probably be pretty good, but it looks like a guy that they signed late was Lynch, and he was in the U.S. You know, Lynch hasn't worked out, uh, Paxton Lynch. 
he had a really he wasn't a quarterback that much in high school. He was late to the game on the quarterback stuff. He's a tall guy. He can move a little bit. He's really more of a dual threat style. He's not a great runner, but he's the biggest of the dual threats they have. And they're starting him. So I'm thinking, are they going to go more power spread here? So I just can't believe Paxton Lynch came in late in the camp. I mean, he, they signed him late and he won the job. And he wasn't that good at the USFL last year at Michigan. Uh, he makes a lot of mistakes, but he can use his legs. You've really got to use his legs. You've got to have him move and you've got to have a lot of read option. It's a power spread style. So I thought they were going to go more pro style in there, or but maybe they're going to be more like the Eagles, power spread pro, PS pro. And again, Buckley has just been with Hugh Freeze and and and, and Heron, uh, the guy Dan Heron. So Lynch won the job. There's one more kid who got cut, Mitch Kidd, and that's the guy I meant to say. No, no pun intended. Mitch Kidd was in Division three football. He's a little guy like Flutie. Doug Flutie, but he doesn't run like Flutie. He has some mobility, but he's more of a passer, so that's tough. If you're going to be that small and you don't, but he's gritty. He's got a decent arm. I mean, he, he's fun. He's really fun, and he became a big fan favorite in the FCF. But I don't think he can cut it in regular. And he hasn't. He's just small in a port. The kid, you know, he must be. I'm. A, I almost want to check him out in the FCF. But they they cut him once they got Lynch. They cut him. He's probably going back to the FCF. So, um, anyways, so you know, that's again potential. I mean, I, I read some guys saying that, oh, their quarterbacks stink. Their quarterbacks don't stink. There's potential. I'm not a big Lynch fan either, but Lynch could work out if you use him the right. But you have to, in Memphis, in college, his coach used him perfectly. You have to use him just right. It's got to have a little pro stuff in it, but a lot of power spread. And if you don't do it that way, then you got to go with Dormandy. And then you have to use Francois in a, in a right way. Dormandy's probably the most flexible of the three, but even he's not that flexible. He's mainly drop-back guy, pro style. So let's see what happens here. Now the running backs, uh, Jamain Martin. And that's an HBCU guy. So they, Buckley got a few different HBCU guys, which I'm laughing. It's, I'm not going to go into the HBCU again like I did with the DC Defenders and Barlow. But wow, I mean, I, I don't know what's going on, but I love it. And, and of course, the FCF, fan control football. So Barley's recruit, the, the drafting, the process of pulling in the talent has been very different for him. So Bar- Buckley may just be a smart guy that's trying some different things, which again leads me to say next year, you know, and, and again, even more so than San Antonio, because this is a volatile situation in Orlando. This could really backfire. Um, but if they hang on to Buckley and they don't get rid of him, I mean, next year, you know. But it could maybe work better than I think, especially the second half of the year. If they come together, win a few games, and maybe they're almost getting the playoffs. I don't know. But anyway, Jermaine Martin didn't really know much because he was at NCAT, North Carolina A&T. But he, had a, he was great there. Uh, 5'10", 220. He has some quickness. Does, isn't real fast guy, but he can be a workhorse, big guy. And he has quickness and burst. So I like this guy. Um, is great for power spread too, you know. Devin Darrington is his com- is a, a would compliment. He's an Ivy League guy, and a lot of the guys are either from, like I said, FCF, HBCU, or just small schools in general. So they picked a lot of guys from small schools, and it's a young team. So again, this is a volatile situation that could be a lot better next year. But Dar- Darrington uh, was at uh, I don't know Harvard, and a little guy, or not re- that little, five nine two oh five, but four four speed. So he, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield, so he's a nice compliment. But he was hurt to start the year. So we bring in Kelvin Taylor. 
And Kelvin Taylor was there, got cut, and then they brought him back. Kelvin Taylor is the son of Fred Taylor. How interesting is that? Fred Taylor was the great Jacksonville Jaguar running back. Smaller side, but really fast. Kelvin Taylor is also a little bit smaller, but more like Darrington. He's a little bit bigger than his dad was, but he doesn't have nearly the speed. And, you know, Kelvin Taylor set all the records. He broke Emmett Smith's record in Florida for rushing in his career. And then he actually went to Florida. In the state of Florida, he held the high school record. Then he went to Florida as a very high recruit. And they found out, man, this guy's not that fast. And he's not even that athletic. He's kind of heavy-footed. But he's a strong runner. He knows how to run, and he has real good cuts. It's just once he breaks through there, he can get caught from behind, and, and, he, and he has trouble making yards if there's nothing there. And, and, and that works in high school. It doesn't work quite as well in Florida, I mean in college. But, but he had a good team around him, and he was able to get 1,000 yards his last year. And then he just he's had so many tryouts with so many NFL teams. He was drafted late round by 49ers. Because he's such a good running back, he just doesn't have the athleticism for the NFL. I would think he'd be good here in the XFL, except he didn't even make other spring leagues and stuff. So I don't know what to think. Is he that slow that he can't even make other spring leagues? I don't know, but he got cut already by Orlando, but then was brought back. So I, I, you know, I have to like this kid, but we'll see what happens. So anyway, when we went later in the draft, we went into the wideouts. And they got a lot of good guys. Uh, Charleston Rambo is a guy that played at Oklahoma. He played opposite D.D. Lamb, and he was a pretty decent recruit himself, but not a lot of speed. He's okay on the speed, but 6'1", but he actually can go deep. He can do a lot of stuff. He's a really good wideout. He just, he's not that big, and he's not that fast. He's just really good, okay? So great for the XFL. I think he'd be great for the XFL. Um, then their next pick was Andrew Jamil, and he was another guy from fan-controlled football. He's a little guy that played in a little college, I forget where, oh, Stonehill or something, had a great career there. He's not super fast, and he's really and he's small, but he is shifty. He'd be a great slot back. And he, you know, but he's on the team. So Stephen Guidry was probably the other starter. The two receiving starters are Rambo and Guidry right now. And Guidry's a big, tall guy with 4'4 four, four speed. Four, no, almost 5'4 four, four to 4'5 four, speed, whatever. He's pretty fast. He's fast for a big guy. And he had a good year, a good time at Mississippi State, had a tryout with the Cowboys. I like this guy for the XFL big time. Dantes Bird is a shifty guy. He's more like the Gabe, um, the Jamil guy. Dantes Bird, he had a good time at Tennessee Tech, which I think is in the, isn't that HBCU again? But anyway, he um, ended up with some springs. He had a chance, one tryout with the Falcons, but he's a little too small, a little too slow, but he's real shifty, really good slot back. And actually, remember, they can get the ball on the fly sweeps, run the ball a little bit, you know, all that stuff. Octavius Miles got cut. And I like Octavius Miles, but he got cut. And it's a shame because he played also in the FCF. He played elsewhere. He was at the XFL for the New York Guardians, actually. He's another guy who's shifty. He can be a kick returner, a runner, a track star. He's a former track star. He's, a, he's actually fast. He's a home run threat, but just didn't really, wasn't, he's the opposite of a guy like um, Rambo, who does have speed, but doesn't, have a lot of speed, but doesn't, isn't quite as good a receiver, isn't really great at being a receiver. He's just, he can do everything. And it's disappointing they didn't keep him, but maybe they felt like Dantes Bird and Jamie, Jamil, those guys can do what he could do, which is run the ball a little, catch it, do different things. 
Then there was um, Patrick Smith, another guy that could do a lot of things, and he was in the FCF as well. And he can throw it. He was a quarterback in high school, dual threat. He can catch, he can throw, and where did he play? Tennessee State, HBCU, the big home of, of, of John, Big John Merritt, Cat Coleman that has affected all of football. That's where he was playing, Patrick Smith. He got cut late. He almost made the team. It was late in the game he got cut. Again, I, I'm surprised. Six foot, can run it, return it, throw it, do, catch it, do all kinds. He's a great receiver as far as good hands. Again, not super fast maybe, but athletic, I, I, I don't know. They, they cut him. He almost did made the team. So, but then here's one that was one of their last draft pick on the first of the draft. Cody Latimer. And I'm going to put a link to this guy. This guy is what the XFL is all about. This is a story, man. He got knocked out of the NFL. And you guys might know, the NFL fans here might remember, he was actually a guy from IU, Indiana, not a big recruit, because he came to football kind of late. He was just an all-around athlete. He had off-the-field troubles, I think, with, and, and it, whatever. He came late to the game, um, but he was such a great athlete. Tall, big. What is he, 6'4"? Six, six, no, he's 6'2". Four four speed, dude. Four four and a half, four four, whatever. He's fast, strong, big, big receiver, and really was a guy that could have been in a big school, but he was at IU. IU's pretty big, anyway, Indiana. Got drafted in the NFL, ended up slowly growing into a good receiver in the NFL for the Giants, had his best year, and then COVID came, and during I think twenty twenty, during COVID in May. He was at his friend's house, poker game, a scuffle blew, broke up. He had a gun or something. I don't even know if that's true, but whatever. He, he got arrested, and because of that, he was suspended from the NFL, and they never took him back, and he hasn't played football since 2019. And, oh, wait, no, he did. Did he go somewhere? Wait a minute. Let me see here. Did he end up playing? Uh, let me see something here. No. Oh, yeah, the Washington... No, he tried to play for the Washington football... No, 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 that's when he got traded there. Never mind. He got... No, no, he hasn't played. Well, he, he got traded to Washington, and, and he was going to be probably be a starter at Washington in 2020. But anyways, that's when that thing happened, okay, during COVID. So he's, he was been out of football. He's gained a bunch of weight. They're moving him to the H-back slash tight end role. So he's, they're going to kind of go with a two tight end, but it's really... A, a slat like an H a slat like a big slot back a big slot back I like it it's awesome it's, it's kind of cool it's, this is going to be pro PS PS pro I'm not sure which but I like this idea and I think Latimer could be really good again but I, I, I I've been hearing good stories in camp he's been great I've been reading so this is fun and and what else do they have there they have um, another guy Logan Carter who was for Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State under Yurchik ran a really cool PSAR, power spread air raid type of offense with Mike Gundy there, where they used what they called a cowboy back. And that was like a tight end slash H-back slash slot back. And that's kind of what Logan Carter played. So he's going to be one of the tight ends, but he can he can go out wide too. So look, at they don't even have to change their personnel. They can go four wide, two tight end, one tight end. This is fun. I like this idea. So I'm kind of liking already what Ford might be trying to do here in Buckley. So you have a Carter. And then the backup is Ryan Becker, who is a, a, a standard tight end, 6'5", 250. He'll block mainly, 
but he can uh, catch the balls, you know, short catches, end zone stuff, and all that. Uh, he was playing at SMU. So I like this. I love the skill. I love the potential of the skill positions, and it's just volatile. And we're, we're, we we don't we could go up or down. Uh, we'll see. And then we come to the line in like the DC defenders. This is where I'm scared. Uh, their line is scary to me. Their first draft pick, Brandon Murphy. He's a guy that played one year of football at Memphis. Before that, he was a basketball player. He's six foot six, three thirty. He already got cut right away. He's not there yet, and he's going to actually be playing elsewhere. Um, I think he goes to fan-controlled football or some spring league or something. So he wasn't ready. You know, he he needs more experience. To but he's he has a ton of talent. So there was a lot of going after talent, and again, a lot of small schools. You'll see in a second. Well. Um, Camille Kamali Matthews. He's only six foot two and three hundred out of Murray State. And again, a small school. He was a tight end in high school. He's very athletic. He could play center any spot on the line. They were going to try to use him at center, but they liked their other centers they had, so they cut him too. I'm talking about Orlando. So they cut Matthews. They cut their two top draft picks, and it's kind of shocking to me that Matthews didn't even make the team. He's been in the FCF as well. He'll probably go back to the FCF. So I'm like, what is going on? So you come down to the third pick, Jachai Baker. I heard some that he's been okay in camp. I don't know what's going on. He's a tall guy. He needs maybe more big experience. He played at South Alabama. Again, he had one little shot with the Falcons. It didn't work out. So he needs time to develop, but he's the starting left tackle. A little scary. And then uh, he's got talent, I'm sure, but... Hmm, okay. TJ Bradley, a, a massive guy, 6'8", 325, junior, a Juco guy, junior college, went to Maryland, and did he had injuries there. Guess what? He's injured again for Orlando. He's on reserve. We don't even know if he'll stay on the team. So he's not even playing. Okay, hmm, that's a problem. We go further down the draft picks. Joshua Frazier, the defensive tackle, nose tackle guy for Alabama, big recruit, but found out that he wasn't too fast. You know, he was just a big guy, but he wasn't, um, he was too slow. And then he went out of football because of injuries. He actually was drafted by the Steelers, even though he never really started for Bama. And then he kind of couldn't even hold on to the spring league football. So I guess just too slow, but also injuries. It was the problem with injuries. Big guy, what was he, 6'4", 310, 20 pounds. Anyway, he retired from football. Been out of football a couple years. He's coming back at going to play offensive line suddenly. And he's at, he lost some weight. He's 6'4", 300. And, and he got cut. So he's not ready. He's probably going to go to the spring leagues, other spring leagues and stuff, or FCF. So he wasn't. So look how a lot of their guys are already cut. Now here's a big pick. This was further on down, like fifth round or whatever. Z, uh, Zivayan Forquin. Forquin. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, Zevion Forquin. Uh, he played for Southern Illinois, another small school. But he's 6'2", 325. He's strong. And he won all kinds of award, award, award. He won all kinds of accolades at Southern Illinois. So he's now the starting center. I think he had a really good camp. And that's why they got rid of Matthews. So he was a great little gem that they picked out. And I, th- I have a weird feeling he's going to be solid. They have another guy named Jordan uh, I F uh, and he was out of Grambling State, another HBCU, a small school, and again six three three thirty, another big guy. 
So there's later in the draft, they started getting big guys. He's a backup right now, but that's a nice backup at guard. Jalen Spady, who is also an HBCU guy, and he's um, going to be uh, a center, uh, backup center. And uh, he, you know, again, some more time to develop, but a big guy, 6'3", 315. So I like him as a backup. So they've got a couple of good backups here. And then a guy named Sunday Deng, who again is out of a small school, and he played at the FCF, fan control football as well. Another huge guy, 6'7", 290, he'll be the backup tackle. So we have a backup center, a backup guard, a backup tackle. But then, just to let you know how these young kids weren't really working out, near the end of their training camp, they had to bring in a whole bunch of uh, three guys that became almost instant starters. And this sort of bothers me. Right guard Fred Luina, and he played at Lawina, Luina, that's what I'm saying, Lawina. (laughs) Fred Luina, he played in the USFL last year for Tampa Bay. And he's uh, solid. He's not great. He had some injury problems. He was at Oregon State, had some injury problems there, and and then uh, played some XFL in 2020 with L.A., and then with, with Tampa Bay, had a lot of starts last year. So he's solid. But they picked him up late in, late in the game, and he's starting. Then Abdul Beecham, another guy, a Kansas State recruit, a Kansas State guy. Oh, a solid starter for Kansas State. Again, he played, uh, he had a little chance in the NFL, but then he ended up in spring leagues. And then he was with the USFL last year for the Pittsburgh Maulers. So, and he was pretty solid at guard. But they have him at right tackle. So they got Beecham, Loina. And then at left, um, at left guard, and this is like the, the last guy they picked up and late in the camp, David Moore. And he's another HBCU, Grambling. They picked him up. He was, a good, he was good at Grambling. Again, big guy, 6'2", 320. He'll be a left guard. So these are some big guys. He had a tryout with the Jets and Cleveland. I think he was on them for a bit, but he didn't work out. And then he, all of a sudden, now he's on Orlando. So they've got a bunch of young guys. They let a lot of them go. They have three vets, not real big vets, but slightly vets that they brought in at the last second. David Moore, Fred Lowina, and Abdul Beecham. They're three starters now immediately. Forkren is going to be a nice center, I think. Baker, I'm really worried about at left tackle, but I don't think Sunday Deng is ready either. So they've got these three potential good guys behind them, Deng, Iofos and Spady as backups. So, and that's a total of eight linemen, a couple guys on injury reserve. This is a little scary. You know, I mean, there's potential, but it's scary. And that could be the biggest problem they have. They have potential all over the place at the skill position, but it's not as solid as like the DC defenders. The DC defenders are solid, really good skill. This is a potentially good skill position and a potential disaster at line, but could be good eventually. So again, a lot of this, and then you got an offensive coordinator who hasn't been coaching for a while, and, and then another, it's, it's a lot of potential, but a lot of scariness. That's why I still have to say Orlando could have the worst offense, but it's an offense that could be a lot better by the end of the year and maybe really good next year. Oh, and I, and I almost forgot, Eli Rogers. I was so busy talking about Cord- Cody Latimer and the great story he could be, which he could be, and I've heard a lot of good things in camp about him. But Eli Rogers also was a strong NFL guy uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he was a little different. He doesn't have the speed, the size of Latimer, so he doesn't have all that potential. 
but he was just a really accomplished receiver at Louisville. Knows how to play the game, sort of like Rambo, where I say Rambo's not the fastest or the uh, biggest, but knows how to play. But Eli Rogers really knows how, and he fit in well. And Todd Haley with Rothensberger at, at the Pittsburgh and in a slot back. And Rambo hasn't found his spot, maybe. And maybe if he does, he can get back to the NFL. But so Rodgers, what happened there was after some productive years with the Steelers, he had a bad knee injury. And, and then he hasn't really played since. I think his attitude soured as well. I'm not sure what happened, but he wasn't able to make it back. And, and then he had a chance to go for the USFL last year. He was drafted again in the supplemental draft. He was drafted in the supplemental first round by the Guardians here. Last year, he was drafted, I'm pretty sure, in the supplemental was for the USFL as well, but he never showed up. So I don't know if he was still healing. I don't think so. I think maybe he just needed to get back into shape, get his mindset right. But he's back. he is playing. I mean, he's back. He's on the team. He's on Orlando right now. And he's not starting, though. So that tells me he needs some more time yet. So we'll see. But if he can even approach his talent level that he was at with the Steelers... Um, do, do you realize they have two NFL receivers, possibly, in Latimer and Rodgers, and maybe the best stories in the XFL this year, and they could be the worst team? And that, that just shows you how much neat, interesting stuff is happening across the league. And, uh, and they have some guys, you know, it's just interesting, these guys like Rodgers and Rambo, and then I go back to Taylor's son, who aren't big enough, aren't fast enough. And, and they know how to play the game. I mean, even though Taylor hasn't made it in the NFL, he's had about five tryouts. He was drafted. Why? Because he knows how to play. He just, he's really slow for an NFL running back, unfortunately, at least by 40 time. He probably plays faster on the field, but it hasn't happened. But anyway, so yeah, Orlando, again, you know, it's a strange story. I mean, I may be following a last place team like I've never followed a last place team in my life because it's an interesting story from the coaches to the offensive talent, even the O-line guys, all these FCF guys, these HBCU guys, these guys with potential, but we don't know, guys that have been there, done that in the NFL and are back. It's crazy. So let's just take a look at the defense and the special teams and wrap this up. So the defense differs from the offense in one respect. There are a lot more guys from big schools. Like I told you on the offensive talent, a lot of small schools, HBCU, Division II, Division Three, and a couple NFL vets. So there's NFL vets on the defense as well with a lot of young guys. It's same thing. There's a lot of potential with volatility, same thing. But the only difference, like I said, is some of these guys are coming, a lot of these guys are actually from the SEC. So right off the bat, let's look at the, Defensive line and let's uh, or the front seven, and the first draft pick Orlando had was Nick Coe, and where is he from? Auburn. You're going to see this a lot. Auburn, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Florida. So this you didn't really have on the offense. So you've got a higher quality of talent, sort of. Doesn't mean it's better necessarily because, like a guy like Xavion uh, Furkin is actually from small school, but very t- talented, did really well. He's the center, center now. So, so it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work out. Oh, Jermaine Martin, the running back, small school, HBCU, and uh, very talented. So it doesn't, but, but anyways, but usually when you're talking SEC and that kind of recruiting, so Nick Coe, this is a guy that's a bigger type of recruit. Uh, the issue with him, he, he has good size, 6'5", 280. 
played at defensive line, could really be a stand-up big outside linebacker in that 3-4 style. Number one, the guard, again, what is Buckley doing with a D scheme? It's very interesting. It, it looks almost like a 3-3-3. So not the 3-2 he was doing at Miss, Ole Miss, but not the old way of the 3-4. I mean, a little bit of, as a 3-4, like a 3-4, like uh, his guy Todd Grantham, who, again, I, I called Grantham LeBeau, but it's really Dom Capers, but it's that LeBeau style, Dom Capers, LeBeau, the, Pittsburgh, the Blitzburg, and then Wade Phillips. But Grantham also was under uh, some 4-3 guys, so he has a mix. But anyway, this really isn't like the 3-4-3 three, four, four, three hybrid stuff. It, it, the, the way they're setting this up, the, the, it, the depth chart looks like a 3-3 three, three slash 4-3 hybrid. So it's a hybrid, but not between 4-3 and 3-3 three, three, or 4-3 and 4-2 or 2-4 and 4-2. Those are normally the hybridizations. This is more of a hybrid between a 4-3 and a 3-3. Three, three. And it's not even the 3-3 three, three with the standard five defensive backs. It's like a 3-3-3, three, 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 a deep safety, two cornerbacks, and what they call a dragon and a bandit. The dragon looks a little bit like a nickelback, but he can, I think he's used more flexible. And the bandit looks like a strong safety tower, a rover, but more flexible. So a lot of this has to do with, again, variety, aggressive variety with some flexibility. And I think that's what... Um, Buckley's going for here. I, I, I really think Buckley could be a real great defensive mind that we haven't seen yet, that he's coming up because he's only done been a defensive back coach. Maybe he had even something to do with why DJ Durkin was doing the 3-2 at miss. So we'll find out. So anyway, we start off with Nick Coe. And Nick Coe is like never really lived fully up to his talent. Uh, pretty, a pretty high recruit. Had one good year for Auburn, then not so good of a senior year hurt his ability to get to the NFL, had a couple tryouts, didn't make it, ended up at the CFL, didn't really do well at the CFL, but the CFL likes smaller, speedier guys. So that wasn't going to work anyway. So here he is, and he's not even starting. And they have him listed as defensive end, but he really should be in that little linebacker um, buck, you know, that linebacker slash defensive end spot, the edge rusher guy. He should be more there, but he's not really quick. He doesn't have a quick burst. So, you know, he, he's just this guy, he's, an, he's a tweener. And, and then he has to really step it up as far as his production and his ability, his technique, and his learning in the system. So if Buckley can get something out of Coe, that would be amazing. And that right there would show Buckley as a great defensive coach. And then the next uh, pick was uh, Gerald Willis, 6'2", 300, and they've got a couple of these guys. Kind of a nose tackle, defensive tackle type but a little bit on the smaller side, only 300 and shorter, but quickness. And he can cause a lot of chaos in there, slashing, slashing in the gaps. So that's Gerald Willis. Right now, he's start, they have him listed as a starter at uh, the DN spot in the three-line. a three line. Actually, they're calling him D-tackle. So they, they got a nose guard, a D-tackle, a D-end. Again, makes that outside linebacker look more like the slash 4-3, 3-4, three, 3-3 three, 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 three stuff or whatever. So Willis, anyway, he, he's, uh, he's, he's going to cause some chaos in there. And then as we stick on that line, I'm going to jump to the supplemental draft where they got a guy in the second pick, Trevon, Trevon Sanders from Troy. Now, he's bigger than 300. He's about 310. He's a little bit bigger, still not that tall, like 6'2"-ish, maybe even 6 foot. He's pretty st- he's, but he's a stocky dude. He's the nose tackle guy. Again, quickness. And in fact, he had a great career at Troy, and then 
was undrafted but had a tryout with the Jets and then went to the XFL in 2020. They shut it down for COVID, and then he went into the police department in uh, North Charleston. (laughs) So then he's retired, and now he's back. Again, volatility. How good is he going to be? But they said in camp he's been looking great. So he's their nose tackle right now. And then we go down the list, like more like a fourth-round pick on the first day of the draft, fifth round. Kavion Patton. He reminds me again of this guy like Zavion Forkren, the center. Patton, I think Patton, did he know Forkren? He might have played with him in high school or something. But anyway, I don't know where I saw that. But Patton was at um, Texas State, played a little nose tackle, D tackle. Again, the 6'2", 300, same size as Willis, though they have him at D end. But whatever you want to call it, this is all flexible. This is what's going to be so interesting about this defense, the flexibility. And uh, Patton, again, I expect him, He's what I read, he was strong, but he was quick. Five and a half sacks. Again, small school. So we'll see how well he does here in the pro. But I, but I like this pick. I, I think he's going to be a, one of those surprise picks again, like Forkren. So he's my guy on, on the other side of the line. Okay? So that's the three starters there. And the backups, we have, uh, again, I had Nick Coe, but I look at him more as a stand-up linebacker type. Jaquane Blakely, who was signed late after the drafts. And he's a guy, let me see if I pull him up here, that, um, yeah, very interesting. About 6'2"-ish, 270-ish, he was up to 300 at one point. So he was like a D-line guy. He played defensive tackle, even could play a little nose, you know, or whatever, D-end, at Tennessee. Another decent, okay draft pick. Didn't come on until late in his career at Tennessee. Developed some quickness, lost some weight. He's down around 280, they're saying now, or 270. So real big outside linebacker type. And you may say, well, why wouldn't Nick Coe be there at 6'5"? Why a guy who's built more like a D-tackle? I think it's because Blakely has the, the burst and the quickness. But he's only set up as a backup right now. But I wanted to throw him in there. And another guy at the stand-up linebacker spot slash defensive end who's going to start, Stansley Maponga. Okay. Now, he was the draft pick the third round after Jared, Gerald Willis. And he's a guy, again, um, not tall, only about 6'2", and about 275, played at TCU, had a really good career there, and actually played a little bit in the NFL. He got a couple, he, he got a sack or two with uh, the Falcons. And why was he able to stick with them? Because he has some quickness too. So literally, I think he ran like a 4740. Blakely ran a 4.8, and Coe ran a 4.9. So it's a 6.5 Coe who may be athletic, but not quite as quick, maybe. So they've got Maponga. Maybe Maponga was only 4.8. I'm not sure, but Maponga played down in the D-line in college, but he can play stand-up linebacker. So they've got a real big linebacker slash DN type here in the, in the 3.3-ish, 4.3-ish thing, or 3.3, 4.2. That's kind of the hybrid there. But I think they may put some faster linebackers in and make it. I mean, there's all kinds of flexibility here going on. So the pos- it's almost positionless. So, again, I could see Nick Coe in this position, but Maponga's there now, and then Blakely's there. So these guys could all move around. So, again, you've got three down linemen, one stand-up guy who may drop off in coverage, come on the rush, be in there, big guy for the run. Okay? The backups are a guy named, uh, he, he was a guy drafted, oh wait, um, 
Well, there was a guy, Shad, and he didn't make the roster, or he actually was either injured or didn't make, or, you know, he got cut late. And he is more of um, another guy that fits a little on the smaller side, but could play that three technique, that DT62280. Maybe he could even stand up like Maponga, but he got cut late. So they may bring him back as a backup. We'll see. And then um, drafted after him was a guy named Alenga, Emmanuel Olenga from NC State, again, smaller school. Chad actually played for Minnesota and Oregon State, bigger. Actually, NC State's a bigger school. What am I talking about? There's Division One. All right, anyway. But Olenga's an edge rusher, purely an edge rusher. So they caught a couple guys. He's only 6'5", 260. He's all about the, 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 the rushing off the edge. So they'll, they'll, they'll bring him in for the passing downs. And another guy, Jacoby Jones, is even... Um, a little bit lower on the draft, and he's only 240, but he's a guy from Texas. Again, a lot of big schools here they got their defense from. 6'5", 240, and he'll come off the edge and get sacks. So they've got a mix of edge rushers, big stand-up DN kind of guys, some quick tackles, nose tackles, a whole mix here. And then Christian Tate in the middle of that draft, like at the fifth round, sixth round area, he's another six-foot, around 300 guy from Georgetown. Again, he's gonna, he had 19 sacks. He's very athletic. He's a, he's play, he's a backup role. So Jacoby Jones, Alenga, Tate, Coe, all these guys are backing up. So this is pretty good depth, and, and I like it a little better because I like the, the – they're all more decent-sized recruits, most of these guys. I'm a little bit more talent. So I sort of like what they have going on in defense here. Now, we're going to get into this guy later, but jo- Josh Harvey Clemens was like the number one linebacker recruit or something at uh i'm gonna get he ended up they got him in the supplemental draft only fourth round but he ended up at louisville but he started out with what florida state i think or something but anyways i'll get to him in a second because they have him at d-line linebacker this guy can play anywhere it, 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 we'll talk about him he could be a huge wild card but let's jump into the linebackers first um and on the inside like so they're gonna have either two linebackers maybe one maybe three They've got some real speed guys, but they have a couple big thumpers. So in the middle, they got a guy, Errol Thompson. He's not starting at the moment, but this dude's huge. 6'1", stocky, fireplug, 6'1", 250. And um, let me see, where did he come from? I forget at the moment. Uh, Mississippi, Mississippi State. Another, and, and, and he was a decent recruit, top 50 linebacker. But again, not enough speed, not enough athleticism for the NFL. But they have him backing up a guy named Terrence Plummer. He was a little bit on the higher on the draft pick here. And Terrence Plummer comes from Central Florida. And he was in the NFL just a little bit. He played a little bit in the NFL. He's a little lighter, 230, 240. But he's a middle linebacker type, but with speed, more speedy. But not that much speed. He didn't have enough for the NFL. He didn't even do so great at... Uh, Canadian football. So he ended up at the XFL with Tampa Bay in 2020. So he's back. So he's going to be a little on the speedier side. Thompson's more the thumper. They're both the middle linebacker types that may be coming out and passing downs. We'll see. You know, for all I know, Buckley could be using like 15 players on defense or more. So this is going to be interesting. Okay. A couple, another middle linebacker type, but he's very light for middle linebacker in the pros. Jeremy Gemmel, and Gemmel was a what they call the open draft. Later on that first, that next day on the draft, they had like open picks later. 
And I like Gemmo a lot because he's just a really good middle linebacker. He played at a good school, uh, North Carolina, I think it was. Yeah. And he had a really good career, but he's only like 6'1", 225. Too light. And he's not fast enough. It's not going to work in the NFL. Here in the XFL, really good pass defense and really can chase down the ball and he can, he's good. So he may get in there on passing downs. Another guy, Lakaya Henry, also in that open round, they drafted him. Lakaya Henry, I guess. And he's a little heavier than Gemmel, but he's still on the light side around 230. And he's got, oh no, he's only like 5'11", 230, but he has speed. And he can come on blitzes and stuff like that in those passing downs and from the linebacker spot, middle linebacker, outside. So again, just a ton of guys here. To Gray Scales, a real good recruit for Indiana. And he had a really good career. Again, a little too light and a little too slow for the NFL, but he has some speed and he has some, he's about 230, about 230. And he's not that light. For the XFL, he's great. He's listed as a backup to Terrence Smith, who actually played a lot in the NFL. But Scales might get in. I don't know. Again, a lot of depth here. And then we have Terrence Smith. And Terrence Smith has played in the NFL. He's been around. Uh, The one thing about uh, Terrence is he's all the way up to 235, and he runs like a 4.5, I think it was, in the draft. Um, Let me see here. Oh, no, no, no. He was slower. Sorry, my fault. 4.7. Wow. He's faster than that, though. I think his field speed's faster, but it was almost like 4.8. But anyways... A good cover guy. He's he has you know he's played for Kansas City Chiefs. He was a good backup, really good in passing downs. He's now a starter with Plummer at linebacker. I think that's a good. Now his issue is injuries. I wouldn't even be surprised if he was injured when he ran that forty-yard dash for the draft, because I feel he's faster than that. I feel he's a four-seven, four-six guy more. But whatever. The bottom line is, really good pick here. It's okay. He has a lot of injuries in his career. That's what hurt him in the college and the NFL. He could have played more. He was a good recruit at Florida State. But even if he's injured, they've got a lot of guys. To Gray Scales can play there, and then they'll bring other guys in there, like I just named. And, um, and there's one other guy, and this is sort of on the outside. He's on injured reserve to start the year. But um, his name is, and he's a guy I like a lot because he is a famous father. DeCallan Brooks, son of Derek Brooks, who played at Tampa Bay. They both played at Florida State. DeCallan was a pretty decent recruit and a short guy, only about 5'9", but really athletic. Has some speed and burst, but he's had a lot of injuries. And he's injured again. They have him on reserve. But so there's a lot of depth at linebacker going on here. And now we'll jump to the DBs. And I'll jump to, to Josh Harvey Clemens again. Because to me... Like I said, they have two NFL vets on here in Terrence Smith and then Matt Elam, who I'll talk about in a minute. But I love the idea of Josh Harvey Clemens. Now, Josh Harvey Clemens is also an NFL vet. He played a lot uh, as a backup for the Redskins. He was the number one recruit as a linebacker, I think it was, but the number one in the country for Georgia in 2012. But then he transferred to Louisville. And no one's ever found a real good spot for him. And he's never really cut it for his talent, for his massive talent. I talk about Coe, Nick Coe, at the beginning of this defensive. He hasn't played up to his talent, but he's not that far off of that. Clemens is way off. Clemens is a monster talent. Six, four and a half, 
you know, 240 some pounds, okay, uh, can run, is athletic, can play edge rusher, linebacker, or safety. Reminds me of that guy at ten, that uh, Clemson under Venables, that kid who just, I think, went to the NFL. Simmons? Simmons is his name? This guy should be a lot better than his production in college and in the NFL. He is much better than just a backup linebacker in the NFL. He could have been a monster in the NFL. I don't know if people know how to use him. I'm not sure how much he's taking the, the teaching, the schemes. Maybe it's a lot to do with him. I don't know. But let's see what Harvey, Josh Harvey Clemens, if Buckley is a genius defensive guy, he's going to find a place for Clemens to wreck havoc from the edge, from linebacker, from safety. So this guy is an absolute wild card and fits into this kind of a defense where it's positionless. And I love it. I'm almost looking at this like, could Buckley be a guy, even if it's not this year, but as we lead into next year, as he gets more players that he, that he wants for the system, could we be seeing the Kyle Shanahan of defense by Buckley? And then maybe he's, I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. It's weird to be going off so much. This is going to be my longest podcast on a team, except that I did some extra ones for Houston and the D.C., but this is the worst team probably in the XFL, and I'm doing because I think it's a fascinating team and a fascinating coaching and, and some of these players. So this will be fascinating to see what Harvey Clemens may do. But let's get to the rest of the DBs. Let's keep on the safeties and the, and the dragon and the bandit positions. So let's go with um, well, let's go with free safety. Later in the draft, when they were drafting the DBs, uh, down the list they had a guy named Najim Hosein. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but. <clears throat> H-O-S-E-I-N. Hosein, 6'1", 195 out of Ferris State. Another small school guy. Had real good success, real slow 40 time. There's a reason these guys are in small schools. About 4'7", 4'8". You know, it's not fast, but he seems to know how to man the safety position. You have to have a lot of smarts. And he beat out a guy named Justin Rogers, who's a little faster, played in a bigger school, um, UTEP. Uh, but but and he's about the same size. Actually, I had read that Hosein's smaller than that six one stature. I'm reading this a lot about these guys. <laughs> They're listed higher than there, but whatever. But anyways, let's say Rogers around the same size. But but Rogers probably a little more talent. But Hosein must be the smart one because he's the one starting. Rogers is a backup. Okay, um, and then that's the safety. On the other kind of safety, but really a, just a rover who will be all over the field. I think is Matt Elam. He's the other NFL guy, had a really great, he, he was a great career at Florida. He was a number one defensive back recruit in the country when he went to Florida. And uh, let me see if I can pick him out here. Where is he? Yeah, let me, it looks like I lost him. There we go. That was in 2010. Had a good career there. Drafted number one by the Ravens. Had a real good year or two there, then had a bad shoulder injury, came back, then had a bad knee injury, and then he's out of the NFL. Then he's tried out for some Canadian football and spring leagues, and he couldn't cut it there. He was on the D.C. Defenders in the XFL in 2020. That got canceled, COVID. So he's really fallen out, and you know, it's really a shocking decline from the number one draft pick, a number one recruit in college. Had a great year. The one year for the Ravens, he had what? Um... Let me see, 78 tackles in 2011, two sacks, two interceptions, you know, a bunch of seven passes defensed, really good. 
and he had a half, uh, yeah, so he can, he can do this again now if he's really not lost at all. If he doesn't need it all back, this isn't the NFL. But if he hasn't lost all his talent and all his speed, I think he's lost some speed because they were playing him. One of the CFL teams was playing him at linebacker. So he maybe have lost some speed, but he can still play that hybrid rover safety slash linebacker bandit position. Blitzing, moving around the scheme. If he's smart enough to pick all this up, which he probably is, these guys, I think Buckley wouldn't have these guys if he didn't think they were gonna they were gonna be able to coach. And he's starting. He beat out a guy named Marcus Murphy, and I like this guy Marcus Murphy. Again, he's back up at the moment. But if Aleem, you know, Aleem, um, Matt Aleem gets hurt or whatever, then we'll have Murphy in there. Murphy, it was a Mississippi State guy. 6'1", 200. He has some good size. He has good athleticism. He's never, he was a pretty good recruit. He's never really lived up to it fully. So I'd love to see him come on maybe. So we'll see. So there's your rover, guys. And then you have your dragon, which is like a nickelback. It might play a man-to-man. It might follow a slot guy around, or it might go into the zone. I don't know. And again, Roman Tatum is a guy there. Roman Tatum played at Southern Illinois, smaller school. He was in the XFL in 2020. Again, he's on the slow side for a cornerback, but he's playing the slot position, okay? So he, he only ran like a 4.8, I think. It's really slow for a cornerback, but whatever. But he's another smart guy like Hosein. And we'll see. And he's supposedly a really good cover guy, so this may work out. Backing him up is a guy named Mike Lee, a little bit faster, but not that fast. Played for Kansas, better talent, better recruit. He had some success in that fan-controlled football again. Most of that's on the offense that they picked, but he's from fan-controlled football. Oh, by the way, um, Tatum was from also fan-controlled football. So, okay. But uh, so Mike Lee's his backup. So there you go at that position. So I like the depth again. Now we'll finally end up with the cornerbacks. Now, there's only one fast guy out of all these guys. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But that's C.J. Holmes is their number one draft pick on the, on the defense. And he comes from that HBCU. He actually played for Deion Sanders at Jackson State. Some people list him at 6'1". I've seen him as low as 5'10". I don't know what his height is. Let's call it 5'11 or 6 foot. He's got the height. He learned the technique from Dion. He plays really well. He didn't make the NFL because he's too slow again. We've got a problem with speed back here on defense. That's the only issue. I like all these guys Buckley has picked, but I'm worried about the speed. Maybe the next year he'll have more speed. But Holmes, we'll see how these guys do in coverage, even if they're not real fast. It is the XFL. It's not the NFL. But, uh, but again, I like a lot. Like C.J. Holmes would be good at the nickel more, at the slot guy. But they already have Tatum and Lee there. And then his backup is Balin Buchanan, who was picked up late. And Balin Buchanan, I have him down here somewhere. Where do I have him? Ah, now I lost him. Well, anyway, he sort of was picked up late in the game. I had him listed somewhere, and now I've lost him. But I sort of, uh, he's on the slower side, too. I checked him out. Again, a slow 40 time and all that, but a little taller. He's, a, he's almost like C.J. Holmes, a copy of C.J. Holmes, just not with all the accolades coming in. So he got a small school. He was at a small school as well. And it's frustrating because I had him right up on my website here. Let me see here if I can find him. Uh, well, well, looks like I cannot find him. 
but let's leave him and go. It's, it's not that important. He's a backup. I'm not even sure how long he'll stay on the team. We'll see how that works. But again, like a copy of C.J. Holmes. And then we have, um, here's the fat, little faster guys. Javari Davis, he's on the shorter side. He was picked um, pretty high up in the process of the draft as well. And he's from Auburn. He can run a f- almost a sub 4-4, four, four, but we're on 4-4. Four, four. He's fast. Uh, on small, like I said, smaller side has he never he still he didn't get drafted by the NFL because I don't think they trusted his ability to stay injury free, and they didn't like his size as much and maybe more to learn. But here he is in the XFL, so let's learn. You know, it's time to learn. I have him listed here. I want to see where else he went. The Dolphins. Yeah, he played a little bit for the Dolphins, and then he was um, and then he's picked up by Orlando. Yeah, so that will be interesting. The other cornerback, and then Shaq Wiggins is a really interesting guy. He's the other. He's the backup to Davis right now. They're listing him as, and Shaq. Did he come along in the supplement? No, he came along later in the open part of the draft. Oh no, he was in the the early part of the no the oh, let's see, Shaq Wiggins. Yeah, no, he was in the early part. Uh, he was at Georgia, transferred to Louisville. He was a pretty decent recruit. I think his it was showing up that he wasn't quite as fast, but he's really aggressive cornerback, has made some big plays for these teams. But then he got hurt. He had a lot of injuries. He had an injury in his ankle. Then he had, I think, a hip injury at Tennessee, his last school he was at. And and he didn't even play. He, gra- he was a grad transfer. After having a couple big years at Louisville, he didn't even play at Tennessee. And then he tried to go to the NFL, and they didn't draft him, of course. And then he spent some time with the Atlanta Legends and the AAF. So he really, he's a ball hawk, but he hasn't shown much since his years at Louisville after he transferred from Georgia. And he had some big, a big year or two there. And again, did the injuries knock down his speed? Because he ran like a 4.7. He's got to be faster than that. He was faster than that coming out of high school. Had to be. So is Wiggins is going to try to make a comeback? Let's see. But, but right now, Javarius Davis is ahead of him. So let's see how these guys... So again, an incredible amount of potential here. A lot of depth. I think even more potential on the defense. The offensive line is scary for the Guardians. But a lot of good stuff in the... But, but, but the offensive line could work out too. But the Guardians, I see no, nothing that's scary. It's just volatile. Like they could be moving around a lot of guys. There could be a lot of guys playing. One thing is, a lot of the guys they've drafted don't have a bad injury history. Like when you look at the other XFL teams, a lot of their guys they drafted had bad in, had injuries throughout their career. You don't see that with Orlando. So a lot of these guys may not get injured, but it may be more of a problem of just who performs. So again, real interesting mix. And then what's the scheme going to be? Man, it's going to be wild. I mean, there are already, if you, you, I haven't seen a list like a dragon and a bandit, like a 3-3-3 three, three, three kind of scheme going on here with a hybrid defensive end type. Haven't seen that yet. So already just from the depth chart, it looks different. So Buckley, I'm going to be so interested with all this. So again, a lot of potential, maybe outside chance for the playoffs. But if I had to make a pick, I'd say too volatile, probably definitely last place in that division. And then maybe the, the worst record in the XFL, but we'll see. Now, I think they're going to fight with Vegas and San Antonio for that spot. But anyway, now, on the, here's the thing that bothers me, though, calling them the worst team, because Jose Borregales is their kicker. And you may be like, who? Um, Jose Borregales was up for the Lou Groza Award, and he was out of FIU, and he played one year at Miami. He's a kid from, uh, where is he from originally? I have him here somewhere. 
Uh, oh, yeah, Venezuela. And then he ended up at Florida, and he loved Miami, so he got to transfer there his last year. He was a solid recruit out of high school. He's 5'10", 180. He can, he's decent length. He can kick it from 50 or so, not a huge leg, but could be a really good kicker. Hat was on the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers backing up Ryan Suckup for two years, and then they finally released him. He really hasn't had his chance, and he's a great pick as a specialist you know, uh, by Orlando. I, I, I love this pick. And then the punter is Johnny Townsend, the brother of Tommy Townsend, who just went to the Pro Bowl for Kansas City as a punter. Johnny was at Florida setting all-time records at Florida for punting. Tommy Townsend, Townsend replaced him at Florida and never even punted as well as him at Florida. But Johnny didn't make it in the NFL. He played one year for the Raiders, was average, and then never cut it after that because his talent really wasn't as big as his brother's. He just bloomed faster, and he had a really good career at Florida. It just doesn't have quite the leg that his brother had. So his hang time, his punts, they weren't as big as they thought. That He was drafted in the fifth round for a punter, but whoops, didn't work out. Tommy Townsend wasn't drafted and is now a Pro Bowl punter at Kansas City because he blossomed into that, and now he just has a bigger leg. So what does that mean? It means Johnny's not going to have a big leg, but it says the XFL. To have that solid of a veteran as your punter and then have a, a guy that could be a really good kicker, this is some good stuff. I, I really like their special teams. And, of course, with all that talent at the wide receiver spot that I've talked about uh, and running back, I mean, Darrington could be a returner, but he's on injured reserve right now. Uh, there's a guy I don't even think I mentioned, Javante Payton, who's more of a deep threat type from Tennessee. But it seems like all he does is he can go deep, but he could return. Dantes Bird, Andrew Jamil, who I talked about. Eli Rogers, the veteran. You know, we've got a couple different guys who could be in the return game. So there should be no problem. Oh, Roman Tatum is listed. So I guess he can return it too. Yeah, I mean, Javari Davis probably. You know, even, you know, so we've got different guys here. So... Um, I, I like the special teams, and that means they could win a couple close games with field position, last-second kicks. So if the Guardians do threaten and get in the playoffs, it's because of these special teams. That Borgalis comes up big, Townsend comes up big, Buckley's defense comes up big, the O-line develops late in the year, the offense pulls it together, uh, be it with their offensive coordinator that they have now or... Some of their other coaching staff, you know, pulls it together. I don't know, Robert Ford maybe, or maybe Shane Matthews, Lamar Thomas. So, so if it all works out, there's a lot of ifs. This team could definitely be in the playoffs. I'm not kidding you, you know. But my guess is, like San Antonio, possibly like Vegas, we're looking at next, a year later. But this isn't a joke. I mean, I'm really excited about what Heinz Ward is doing for next year as we go to next year. And I'm really, really, I'm not sure what Buckley's doing, but I'm really interested Never in my life have I seen a team that I'm going to pick for last in a league <laughs> that I'm finding so interesting. I'll pick them for last, but I would be not surprised if they threatened or even eked into the playoffs. But it would take D.C. defenders, some things just not working out there, or something that goes, like, at the end they were able to eke by St. Louis or Seattle to get the last playoff spot. It would take a lot. So I'm going to still pick them last, but very interesting. And I could say this for the whole XFL. Going through these eight teams, and I'm done now, was a fascinating thing for me. And I'm glad I have this all on podcast. I can always go back to it. Following the journey of all these players and the way they've come to this area, 
to me, is way more interesting than an NFL draft to see that these players, what they've all gone through, even a guy like the linebacker I just talked about, uh, Clemens, you know, this talent. Is he ever going to live up to his talent? Could it be now? This guy, uh, Latimer, coming back, Eli Rogers, fascinating stories. And then the coaches. And a guy like Ford, who hasn't even coached since 2011, the HBCU stuff. You know, this guy, A.J. Smith at Houston, who's like an air shoot guy from June Jones and, and uh, Mike uh, Hell Mummy. Um, yeah, Hell Mummy. Yeah, these are just, there's a lot of cool stories in the XFL. And there's already a lot of cool stories in the USFL because I watched it last year. So I'm really looking forward to their second year. So the spring leagues are going to work out. If they work together, the spring leagues are going to work out. And we're going to have more chances for a lot of coaches and some of the players and really good football for the fans if they want to check in in the offseason and maybe even a, a, a spring bowl at the end of it all. So that's a wrap on my XFL teams 2023.